Welcome to episode 008 of Otaku No Radio. My name is Ink, and with me is my co-host... My co-host... That's embarrassing. I was going to say it just a second ago. He's very important, but I can't quite remember his... Hey, co-host, old buddy, old pal of mine, tell me, what is your name? <laughs> well, my name's Jared, oh. but your name is a story about Mitsuha, a high school age girl who, for all the boredom of living in a small town and embarrassment of being part of the local Shrine family, wishes for a different life as possible. Taki is a high school age boy who lives in Tokyo under the constant and vague suspicion that he is searching for something or someone. One day, they wake up to see a stranger's form, each other's, in the mirrors of their bedrooms in which they did not fall asleep. But this doesn't happen just once. Around three times a week is triggered by sleep, Mitsuha and Taki spontaneously find themselves in each other's skin. Memories of time spent in each other's body mostly fade as soon as the transfer reverses, so the two begin to leave instructions and diary entries to facilitate daily life under these bizarre circumstances. Then, as immediately as it began, the swapping stops. Now these two teens struggle to find each other. You'd think that would be easy given the digital trail, but not so much. And before we get into talking about your name in depth, let me introduce our very special guest, Otaku in Review's very own Scott Speziani. Hello, nice people. Uh, Scott's a fellow English major with a keen mind for analysis and someone who just happens to deliver one hell of a Shinkai panel at conventions. If, uh, oh. if, if you see his name and that panel being run, attend it because he's got some great points and uh, a great way of delivering it. So, Which actually, it's going to go much deeper now. <laughs> In fact, right after that's that's one of the things after I saw this movie, like, well, that the whole panel has to be revised now. Were, was I the only one thinking, okay, this is, and I know Jared, you haven't seen uh, a lot of other Shinkai works, but Scott, it, it, was I wrong in thinking at some point this looked like uh, a place promised in our early days setting, like it could be linked through that big star cross in the sky? Well, I mean, certainly, but that's, I mean. A lot of those visual, those sky visuals, is something that it's kind of a motif he uses in, in most of his work. So I don't, I, you know, when you say it now, yeah, I can link the two, but I think it's just, um, it's he, he loves playing with with the sky and and using that to set time and distance, which is two words we're going to use a lot talking about Makoto Shinkai. Hell yeah! So, like when this came out, it was block, but it is a blockbuster. It, it totally. Uh, surpassed Miyazaki's films box office numbers, and not that he's bitter or anything. Not at all, and not that everyone else agrees that it really should have. Um, this is a film that sort of plays to a mass audience, not an art house audience, as I would argue most of his uh, most of Shinkai's works usually do. But what, what are how do you guys see this? Because does it deserve the popularity it has? Is it is it that artful of an endeavor, or is it just that popular of an endeavor? Well, just speaking for myself, um, I was incredibly taken by the film. I only got the chance to see it once, and uh, I saw it dubbed, oddly enough. But you know, I was I was struck by how it it, it is a, a story and a plot that you can see 
as as a broad story or one with popular appeal. But that's not to say that Shinkai doesn't put a whole lot of artistry into the final product. And I think in terms of visuals and in terms of setting expectations for a story and then flipping those expectations on their head and kind of, you know, I don't want to say misleading, but but being very clever about audience uh, sort of anticipation and and using that in in the story, uh, I think he did a masterful job. and, And... I think that's reflected in just how how popular it is. You know, sometimes really good stuff becomes popular, and that's that's great. We should all celebrate it. I'm just going to take an opportunity to say, Jared skirting around saying certain things is uh, demonstrative of the fact that we're going to be having a separate spoiler section for this. So, yeah, you, you you do not want to see this film knowing certain things about this film, the beautiful work, and it really deserves how it is. Uh, uh, given to you so we're not going to ruin that if you hit the spoiler section and want to continue that's your own thing yeah actually that's that's something that uh, I was struggling with today because I was finishing up my review of the movie and uh, unfortunately if, if you want you know the a review as you know, a product re- um, recommendation for this you, you can only talk about half of it and just say like okay trust me uh, <laughs> I can't really tell anything anything else that happens um, because I, you know, going into the movie, I didn't really know. I knew it was about uh, body switching, and I didn't. That's it. Like you know, but uh, it is so much more than that. And the way the Shinkai kind of plays with the characters and the way the way the body switching occurs and the way that they interact with each other, it plays out in a way that I think is is um, multiple viewings are beneficial. So I think that is definitely one thing, one unique factor that likely made this movie so popular. But after the whole thing's over, you you want to watch it again so you can then, with the knowledge that you have at the end of the first viewing, go back and connect all the dots uh, and and see how it, how Shinkai actually made everything take shape. Even in the very the very first scene, of the opening of the film. It's it's a little bit disorienting if you don't know exactly what what's going on because the way the way so you know the character wakes up and you're like oh okay here's a new character she's waking up and then she acts a little odd and then she walks out and she seems to be acting normal uh, and you know it's not until later that you put together that oh okay there was there was a time skip there so that and and the the hundred other little things that you want to connect together are all uh, all reasons to watch the movie again. I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned the time skip because that's one of my favorite techniques of this movie and the fact that they don't really talk down to the audience by using calendars a whole lot. There's some instances of them flipping through their smartphones, uh, but that's actually integrated really well considering how these kids are communicating. Well, and, and it's, you know, the if you want to, you want to, you know, again, and we'll we'll go over Shinkai as, as a whole, I think, uh, later on. But you know, Shinkai's general themes are relationships through distance and time. Uh, you can sum up a lot of his movies that way. But the way the way this movie plays out is it it, it purposely plays itself out non-linearly for dramatic effect and to to put yourself actually in in the feeling of the characters who's because they become other people randomly for one day their entire life is completely disorienting and playing out non-linearly as well well you know one thing i think that kind of 
gives the film um, a structure is the emotional arc of the film in general. Um, despite the fact that things are getting swapped around and you got you got you know people switching bodies and all that stuff, um, you know it, there was an emotional arc to the film that sort of brought it all, unified it all in a way um, that I I thought was really great. There's so many layers to this film, and uh, I think my biggest regret is that I, I only got the chance to see it once, and um, I, I can't wait to see it several, several more times um, after I get it on video, you know, whenever that happens. I don't know if saying this will be a spoiler or not, but, like, knowing whatever is to come, like, like as it goes with any any media you watch, if you watch something as a whole, you already know the whole of the story, the linear nature of the events, what's going to happen next and final. And coming into this one, what I loved was the beginning, what I loved and hated, actually, was I watched the first half, and during the first, like, 20 minutes or so, I'm just thinking, the hell is this getting all the praise for? This is, you know, I mean, it's charming, sure, but and artistically beautiful, but it, it's just kind of bland comedy. And then I watched the rest of the movie, and the second time through, I'm bawling at the stupidest cues at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> I should be laughing my ass off, and it's like this. This is Shanghai. <laughs> well, it is it's each each step that's added, right? Each, and you know, I want to let me. And this is the only time I want to do this because, again, because I'm I've been thinking about this movie a lot today as I'm finishing. But a line from my review is just. Uh, Your Name is a complicated film that, con- that continues to become more complicated as it goes on. Each point Shinkai changes what the film is about is graceful tying together all the arcs into one continuous tapestry. That theme is, is in the film. What he does narratively is in the film as a theme. Mm-hmm. And like even even like when there's ten minutes left in the movie, like they reveal something that's just like you know, you just gotta like, oh, like that makes that thing that happened in the first ten minutes of the movie make sense now. Uh, it's like it's it's one of the most impressive examples of of nonlinear storytelling I've ever seen. I think I agree with you, Ink, on balance. That you know when you started when I started watching this film uh, earlier in the week, the first I guess twenty or twenty five minutes or so that all of the setting up kind of arc, you know, I was thinking, okay, this is a very technically proficient movie. You know, the animation quality is very high. Um, there's beautiful imagery. I mean, that's kind of Shinkai's calling card uh, in a lot of ways. But I'm, I wasn't seeing anything that really, you know, like blew me away. I was kind of thinking, you know, uh, I, I feel like I've seen this kind of thing done before uh, and done a little bit more skillfully from a from a story standpoint. But uh, man, whew, when that uh. When that twist happens, that twist happens. And um, I, I think that's, if I was to watch it a second time, like you, I think I would see all of these cues and, and have a completely different emotional palette to respond to it with uh, than that first time. And, you know, just look looking at it, and that likely was the intention for you to walk in this movie, watch it, and, and, and think that the beginning of the movie was completely... You know, you know, this is this is a silly uh, slice of life drama. What am I watching? But you know, the even the beginning of the film, there's a body swap right before she goes to school, and everyone's tre- treating her like she was crazy the day before. 
those scenes where she's in school are just completely normal, and they last the first 15 minutes, but they're they're bracketed by a dramatic and insane thing that happened, but we don't get to see it first. It's like, you know, she is he's taking, he's he's actually saying, like, as you're getting into the story, he's, he's wanting you to expect the mundane, wanting you to expect, oh, this is just, and, and I think because of that, you expect this to be, oh, this is just one of those body swap stories, we've seen those before, and that makes the, the, the twist in the middle all the more effective. And what I think actually epitomizes that thought is something as stupid as boob fondling, and we'll get into that a, a bit more in the spoiler section, but I loved the fact that there's this instant turn-off to, oh, that's where this anime is going with the, the body swap, the, the, the male-female body swap. Of course he's going to be, like, feeling her up and whatever. And honestly, yeah, probably that would be what happens, but this uses it a bit differently. Not to say it doesn't use it in the exact same sense, but there's a turning point. Yeah, I feel like, especially the first time you see this movie, I was sitting there thinking, okay, well, I've seen better first acts than this, like in other in other films. It's not quite the same, but uh, Girl Who Let Through Time, I thought it was a better first act until until that turn. And um, now I look at it completely differently. And that's that's a beautiful thing about this movie is you know just like that thread that gets tied together out of all the smaller threads. Um, this the the real story is not something you'll really see the first time through. Um, at least not fully, I don't think. Oh man, did anyone else catch the the Hosoda reference in that film? I felt or like you... most of the film was a Hosoda reference, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Girl, Girl Who Went Up Through Time is a good good analogy because that's another film where uh, slice of life with one um, supernatural twist, right? Mm. Uh, and then there's there's kind of a dark a dark turn in the middle. I think I think that Girl Who Left Time actually becomes a weaker movie when it's not a fun movie about time travel, whereas this one, this one embraces that term and it becomes a better movie after it. It's, that's a weird. It's a weird. You know, like those two next to each other are worth studying closely. This this movie leans into that turn, and Girl Who Left Through Time kind of leans away from it. Uh, mm. But I think that's a great point. They're interesting movies to compare to each other. I think. When we had Elliot on back in February, I, I think he said they were nothing alike, and I'm like, eh, I don't know about that. And definitely now, I feel like there's some commonalities. But Your Name is is a, I think on balance, much better film uh, overall. Uh, and I love that other movie. Well, what I liked about it specifically was the fact that this body swapping phenomena seems to be like something handed down to generations. It just seems that's something that occurs. That's a rite of passage almost. And even though this film narrows it down to, like, one family uh, via one specific scene, the Hosoda's film, it was just sort of, like, blatantly aunt-daughter advice sort of stuff. But I love the fact that this is treated as just a natural phenomenon that occurs every once in a while. <laughs> it's like, no, you know, you'll have dreams, you'll switch bodies, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I think in, in both instances it takes what is kind of a common thing and it, it just explores like well, okay now what if this was what if this was real now and if you expand on that given that this is a common thing and that people mostly just sort of brush it away why is it so important that these two people are acting on it are like adamantly trying to change things and you know not 
influence each other's lives too much but not try to change the worlds they're in why is that so important well yeah that's a, that's an interesting angle to go on and it's it's actually not one I've considered before that in those other universes yeah maybe in those other in those other instances her grandmother experiencing the same thing um, even if even if that it did happen there maybe they just didn't have either the sophistication to to figure out what was going on maybe their lives were were just less exciting and less things to go completely chaotic so other people would notice as opposed to modern day where yeah if you act weird one day in school then all of your friends are going to think you went nuts it also ties in with the the use of technology in this film which I actually mm -hmm. applauded it was uh, the use of cell phones uh, smartphones specifically because it really frames humanity in a box because we are so contained within our electronic devices these days like they know where we should be at a certain time before we do and I love the fact that this incorporates that it's not taking the humanity away but it's sort of adding enabling this extra humanity to take place one of the things about the smartphone in most modern fiction is that it can it can kind of ruin a lot of plots you know because it's such a handy device and you know the internet and all the world's knowledge at your fingertips and all that stuff but i like how the the smartphone you know it doesn't really it just doesn't really help them in this sense um they don't really ever explain why the the stuff deletes more on that later there are things they don't explain about that but we could talk about yeah, yeah and you know that the you could say that why didn't they just text each other mm -hmm. you know because when when the body swapping occurs they they could have just contacted themselves you know their, their own body uh but that doesn't happen which is curious or at least at least they don't show them attempting it if if they attempted it and it didn't work for some mythical reason or for, for other reasons but they never do show them attempting to contact themselves it's it's the only messages that they leave are after the day is done and you could chalk that up just to societal you know norms like maybe they wouldn't contact each other straight off maybe they'd wait for a certain amount of time to pass or or you can you can also say that it's the the nature of the dream perhaps you know because in the dream world they're they're not 100% themselves consciously it could be that maybe they don't there's certain information they don't carry into the dream and then back out of the dream maybe phone numbers are one of those things and that's that's one of the reasons there's there's so much supposition to how much the characters are themselves at each time and how much carries over specifically because there are moments where the movie betrays itself where one character in their own body recalls something specific where in fact the film states like almost nothing is recalled specifically but there are characters rattling off oh I should be here and doing this now but if you're doing it now and it's like ah you know, you almost had the perfect body swap movie. <laughs> <laughs> but it, they, they, it goes against its own rules sometimes, and that's, that's I really didn't, I, I, I can't, I can't bypass that. I mean, then, yeah, we may have to get more specifics uh, in the spoiler section. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anything else positive you guys want to say about the general Your Name experience? Uh, good, some, some good-looking washing machines in there. No, actually, I don't think there was in this one. 
<laughs> no, Shinkai, Shinkai is uh, he's a master of creating that just photorealistic anime style art. And um, well, I think that it's it's actually sometimes kind of the, because the character designer was obviously uh, different from uh, Shinkai's background work. Uh, I think it it clashed like once or twice, but generally, um, where when when Shinkai's his animation is singing is when he's using those still images to create a sense of time and place and mood, and uh, of course that's done uh, masterfully uh, in this film. That's actually what I was getting at too. Is the uh, I was wondering, well, Jared, did you notice anything specifically between the characters and the backgrounds at all? Well, one of the things I was going to mention just in a general sense about the film is I love the all of the, the fate symbology that runs throughout it. You know, there's there's the obvious stuff like Mizaha's hairband, this this big red thread, right? And then um, the weaving and all that. But there's a couple of she, uh, scenes. Like there's this one beautiful still that, uh, to Scott's point, that still stands out in my mind, and it's of a spider web with a spider... And it's beaded with the rain, and it's just such a beautiful nature shot. And this is a this is a movie replete with nature shots. It's it's a gorgeous, gorgeous film. Um, and I think, um, you know, I just I want to watch it again just to look at all of the beautiful imagery because I'm sure there's a ton of stuff I missed. And to your, to to both of your points, the nature imagery is fantastic as are you know the the train stations with the uh, alternating inbound and outbound trains passing each other which is so coherent with the theme of the movie um shinkai is just a master of using romantic imagery great cg too that doesn't that doesn't like really stand out like cg like you've got to really kind of look at it and go okay yeah that is cg i love it when it's it's leveraged just enough to kind of accent a scene or a shot, and it doesn't just sort of Swallow stand it. out too much. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Swallow it. Yeah. You know, actually, I'll, I'll go against you there. I, I noticed the the opening scene especially. I noticed the CG like it stuck out uh, just because I don't think Shinkai really has ever used CG like that before. So his imagery with the CG initially, I think, just kind of weirded me out, and then I, I after that one scene, it kind of just disappeared into the background but it was initially i think a little bit shocking do you think that was because he doesn't typically do that kind of thing or yeah. do you think he just didn't do it well no i think it's just because i don't typically expect it I, you know i'm seeing shinkai imagery and then i'm seeing cg of what's what's she, cg on top of it uh which is giving it a lot of motion which is you know a, shin, a shinkai um, establishing shots do not typically have motion mm. i think that's probably more than that's probably why i noticed it more because of because of how uh, atypical it was. I, I just want to point out that the proficiency with which Makoto Shinkai has rendered nature, or has gotten to re- render nature in most of his films, really stood out, as Scott pointed out, uh, against the character designer's work, because a lot of the times when they're in the deep country, I'm just th- I'm just seeing these characters... You know, modeled by sunlight as as through tree branches appropriately, but the the character designs themselves look cartoonish, whereas the backgrounds are photorealistic, and instantly I'm just like, oh, what a contrast! And I'm out of the movie, and thinking about the difference between those two things, and I, I that was the first Shinkai movie I'm ever 
thinking about that because Garden of Words, while the character designs weren't like photorealistic, the backgrounds were, yet the characters still fit in. And I think that's due to a specific sort of shading that they used for that movie. And honestly, I think this movie would have benefited from it because the characters are so separate from the backgrounds, even when they're meant to be in their specific places. The, 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 all the characters, Mitsuha and uh, what's-his-name, whether they're in the country or the city, always stand out. But, or I'm sorry, Mitsuha or whatever, when they're in the country, always stand out. When they're in the city or when they're in the buildings, they seem okay. Everything seems to meld, despite an obvious level of detail in that setting. Well, I, I, think, I think it's a compromise, really, because uh, Shinkai, Shinkai, I think, does... Either Shinkai does his own character designs typically, or he has someone who 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 does them with him. But he he has a certain style of what his characters look like, which is um, I would say like more '90s anime, pre 2000s anime look. And um, I think the compromise using modern modernly designed characters probably aided in this movie being as popular as it was. Versus if Shinkai did the character designs, or if he, he did his, whoever does his typical character designs, it might it might not have done so. Well. So the guy who did the character designs for this was Masayoshi Tanaka, and he's got a kind of eclectic and interesting uh, range of character design credits. So among them are High School of the Dead, Anohana, uh, Reborn, <laughs> Anthem of the Heart, and. Uh, yeah, just some other random stuff. Joshiraku. Anyway. I, I don't think any of those really compare to the unique identifiability of all the characters in this film. Because they're all generic, but they all are very detailed. Well, like, one thing for sure, like, the guy, you know, I don't know if he was the original character designer for Anohana, but, you know, that's the only... That's the only set of designs that I think even look remotely close to your name, folks. I, I think, you know, I think they tried to go for an every man and every girl kind of, kind of look to these characters in a lot of ways, um, for good or ill. Um, you know, I I, fa- I didn't find the character designs terribly off-putting, but that's probably because you know I don't have the the kind of exposure to Shinkai stuff that you guys do. Um, I I just thought, well, these are very, you know anime sort of Miyazaki-ish looking designs that Miyazaki didn't do. The one thing that disappointed me is that there was, was not enough uh, long uh, images of, of people's feet uh, and people doing sketches of other people's feet. That, the very uh, opening of the film is a focus on the girl's foot. Okay, well, but after that... <laughs> there was also not wait, a lot wait. of... The first Clouds? time, the first time, senpai waiter waitress person walks through the the, the waitstaff collective room. The f- camera focuses on her feet and the high heels. Inc, uh, maybe am I getting a sense? You know, I thought that you liked Garden of Words because of the poetry aspect, <laughs> but I, I'm getting a sense that maybe there's something else there. No, we call that Garden of Feet around here. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, yep. honestly, after Garden of Words, I can never look at a Shinkai movie without looking at feet again. And it's horrible, and I blame Dave, David Estrella. But I think that's also because... I mean, how many times have you seen Garden of Words? Uh, 59. Oh, no, that's not true. 
You want to think it's not true. <laughs> That's amazing. You're my I hero. have no idea how many times I've seen that movie, but it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. I, oh. I've seen I've seen your name four times. Uh, oh, wow. Twice on a defective screener for uh, Fandom Post. Uh, plug, read my review of your name over at fandompost.com. Uh, and twice, <laughs> nice. twice in theaters. Uh, <laughs> and uh, But yeah, like, I've already seen your name four times, and I don't even own it yet. Okay, there could have been more cloud shots. <laughs> I wanted more cloud shots. That's all I got to add to that. I like the way they used the cloud shots. It was yes. they, they were more than background. They were they were characters because of that intro, and then the repetition of that intro later on, and how it's twisted. I seem to remember they were kind of transitional too. Like mm. we'd pan up to clouds, and then we'd we'd have kind of a shift um, in in the plot or in the characters or something like that, like emotionally. But I could I could I've only seen it once, and that's just like my impression. So I don't know how true that might be. So. To wrap this first half up, I would I would ask, how does your name fit in with the rest of the works in Shinkai's repertoire? Um, yeah, I thought it was great. I, I'm trying to think of what other Shinkais I've seen. I own Garden of Words, and I've read the manga, but I haven't watched the movie. Um, let's see, uh, five centimeters per second is on my want-to-watch list. Uh, yep, this is the only one I've seen. It's good to me. <laughs> so that means number one for you. Yeah, yeah, like number one with a bullet, no problem. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think previously that um, five centimeters, I think, would be number one, followed by Garden of Words. Just, and then I think five centimeters. I'm not, I'm not necessarily meaning in like a, a numerical, which is best fashion. Oh, you mean like, like thematically? Thematically, uh, how mature it is. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I can, oh, I can answer proficiency. I can answer that question very much better. Um, this this is this is Makoto Shinkai's masterpiece. This is the movie he's been trying to make for 15 years. The between Five Centimeters and Place Promised and Voices of a Distant Star, uh, all those movies are about uh, relationships through distance and time. All of them are extremely effective. All of them are absolutely beautiful. Uh, all of them are on like top 100, top at least top 100 best anime movies of all time lists, and all of them now are, are just a little bit worse because your name exists, Ooh. right? Because your name is the perfection of those themes. You know, it's like Makoto Shin, and, and I think it's part of it is that Makoto Shinkai did not have the benefit of coming up in the anime industry. You know, like, he, he's a self-taught anime director. Did he did not have the benefit, or did he have the benefit of not having grown up in the anime Well, industry? yeah, he, he had the benefit because he, he gained a lot of control early, right? But but at the same time, uh, he had to learn, he, he was learning on his own, you know, which is why, like, five, a lot of five centimeters per second is very effective, like, still shots. Um, but, you know, it's still like a, it's still like a three disparate, chapters which is supposed to make a one movie it's like he's he wants like desperately wants to tell this story perfectly of people who are trying desperately trying to connect and are having trouble doing so and this is the most effective version of that story he's told and frankly i i and i hope he puts those themes to bed 
like going forward because now anything he makes anything he makes period will be compared to will be compared to this just because of how popular it became but mm. anything he does that uses the same themes now will instantly be compared like your name and if it's not if it's if it's not as good he will he will probably be marked as as a uh, a one trick pony which frankly a lot of people already criticized him as hey he make kind of makes the same movie over and over again well, yeah, he made the same movie as one five centimeters per second in your name, but he inst- he, he he has finally perfected that movie. In, in fact, like there are, there are shots at the end of this movie which I'm just like, oh, this is the end of five centimeters per second. I know exactly what you're about to do here, Mister uh, Shinkai Shinkai Sensei. Do not do that thing you're gonna do, Shinkai Sensei. Please, this one time, give us give us just a little bit of hope. I love how he plays with that. He knows you've seen his other movies. He knows you're watching. And again, we'll get to the spoiler section, but like comparing those, the, the ending of this movie to Five Seconds for a Second, like I, I, the end of this movie, I just imagined like an assistant or a producer standing over his shoulder, like as he's, you know, he's drawing out the last couple scenes of the movie. So he draws one, and the produ- the, I just can hear the voice of his assistant. It's like, okay, what happens next? And he draws another one, and he's like, okay, just, uh, come on, a, just a little bit further, buddy. Just And he's just like, no, just a little bit more. Shinkai-sensei, just do that. This is the difference between making $1,000 and making a billion dollars. Just do give us two more seconds of this movie. So, I, I think that, yeah, so that's my opinion. I have. Yeah, this is oh, Go ahead. Um, I, I just want to say, like, to, to your previous point of Makoto Shinkai, constantly rewriting the same movie it's not it's variations on a theme but it is the same theme and i agree that he is the sort of desperate soul trying to nail down the perfect expression of that i would disagree that this is the perfect expression of that it is a great expression of that no argument there Mm -hmm. uh but i i really feel shinkai's proficiency is in short form where he is forced to make tough cuts and tough edits. Here is a three-act play, and all three acts, I I think you said before, it felt a little long and disjointed between the three, but I actually felt the flow really natural. Oh, no, 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 I was was referring to Five Centimeters. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, yeah. that's totally separate and disjointed. Yeah, and I, but I, that, I, as an example of him like having to learn how to make a cohesive film, like five centimeters is step one in doing so. Yeah, this this is fantastic because yes. really, despite the three act structure, all three acts blend together perfectly. Just yes, they bloody do. Bloody perfectly, and it's part of what makes it so effective is you don't really realize what's wrenching you when. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I still feel like the shorter the better with Sunkai, especially like he based this just like he based uh, Garden of Words off of a poem. And, oh wow! Yeah, this 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 came from another. The inspiration from this came from another poem, and we'll get into the the themes of from that in the spoiler section. But uh, overall, something short and concise as a poem should be emulated in a movie. Uh, despite this being you know an hour and a half long or two hours long, I can't remember. Um, it's like forty. It's, it's concise. It really is. I don't think anything could really be cut. 
You need the time spent with the characters themselves to develop how they move, how you identify them, because even when the characters are not in their own bodies, you can tell by the way they move and talk. And even though the movie spends way more time with one character than the other, yeah, it's it's a it's a testament to how Shinkai has storyboarded this and written this that you can tell. It it would that would be like my my the one thing I would say is that we spend a lot of time with Mitsuo hmm. in uh, Taki's body and not a lot of the other way around. Like in a way, it should be. If anything, a little bit longer. I don't think it's it's hurt because we get to see less of the other character, uh, but a little bit longer made it might have made it might have made, given me a better sense of of who the characters are. The overall picture might have not been improved, but the characters would have been a little rounder. Yeah. Okay, so we'll uh, we'll hit spoilers next. Spoilers. I, I do want to speak to the fact that uh, two of us watched the sub and one of us watched the dub. Uh, neither, uh, none of us got to watch both, which is kind of disappointing. Yeah. Uh, so I'll, I'll ask you both, seeing as silence in Shinkai tends to be of the utmost importance, between the sub and the dub, Scott and... Jared, respectively. Are Shinkai's silences preserved in a way that make the movie effective? I mean, technically the sub would be the original intention, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So, it's also kind of a leading question, too. Uh, It is, but it's also just a technically... Yeah, I mean, silences are very important, of course, because... um, Shinkai uses visual language to tell a lot, a large pieces of the emotional uh, reality of the narrative. Um, and and in, in, in two ways, that, especially towards the end of the movie, that is extremely important when they are like literally on top of the world, um, looking down on, on two, like the two possible, the, the two, the two, um, you know the the the, um, the visual representations of where they are in in their respective timelines. Uh, it's very and it's like it is like this crossroads and this meeting point and and the fact that that is treated very um, it's treated very very solemnly. It, it is it was extremely effective. And then like that solemnness is immediately thrown away when the two characters finally are face to face. And then it's it's a combination of like adorableness with awkwardness, and it turns a sol- this solemn like breathtaking moment into two two teenagers who who are in love having like having to talk about that. But again, we didn't I didn't see the dub, so I can't speak to that. I uh, I did see the dub, and it was the only that was the only showing I could make um, because the subtitled showings were. At incredibly inopportune times uh, for me to try to see it on a weekday, especially. But I thought the dub, that having been said, I thought the dub was uh, very effectively done. I've seen a lot of uh, films uh, that are dubbed uh, in the movie theater, uh, and and sometimes it's kind of a hit or miss thing. I think The Wind Rises I saw dubbed, and I I didn't like that movie that much, but I really didn't like the dub. Um, this one, I thought the uh, the cast did a pretty good job 
of carrying forward the emotional energy uh, and and delivering on as much of that original intent as they could. So in in that sense, I thought it was a pretty successful dub. So there weren't any moments where there seemed to be expanses of time where there were narration and no movement. Mm, having only seen it once, I don't I don't remember. Sorry. Hmm. That was the the problem with Garden of Words dub uh, was that there was a lot of over dramatization and talking over periods of silence by the dub crew, and that really turned me off. And I was kind of hoping to catch a dub uh, a premiere so I could I, I could compare the two, but uh, I'll, I'll take you on your earnest that uh, that the dub actually serves the movie well, and that's something to look forward to. Yeah, I I, I don't remember. You know, I'm thinking about it, trying to trying to remember if I remember any scenes that were silent that had an overdub of somebody talking, and I don't think there were any. I think um, there were definitely scenes of just stills and silence and things like that. I don't remember any obtrusiveness with the dialogue. Let's say that. Okay. So since we're officially in the spoiler section, Mitsuha dies. Oh, not just dies. <laughs> you undersold the hell out of that. <laughs> On purpose. She's hit by a fucking meteorite, <laughs> <laughs> like in the face with a meteor. She is kind of like ground zero. She gets killed by a Final Fantasy spell. All right, like, <laughs> like she don't just die. She is, she is like, existentially erased from the planet. At a molecular level, and the 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 impact of that throughout the film is the twist that we've been referencing throughout this podcast is all of a sudden uh, I can't even remember the the male protagonist's name because he's so Taki 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 thank you uh, Taki discovers uh, through this road trip that he takes with his friends finally meeting this girl that he's been communicating with via dreams and cell phone. Uh, that, in fact, the town where she lives, uh, or rather lived, has been wiped out by a meteorite. But it doesn't end there. And what's really... One one thing that's really visually impactful about when he finds that out is throughout the... throughout the first part of the movie, we see this beautiful lake. And it's this very circular, kind of oblong lake. And it's just a gorgeous, gorgeous background shot. And... um, when he makes this discovery, he comes to he comes to that lake, and there's another lake where the meteor hit, <laughs> and it's 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 just so jarring because Shinkai puts that scene in front of you several times to make sure that you feel the impact of it. Turns a serene image into a horrifying one. Mm. That's my favorite thing, and that's that that's repeated a couple of times because it's not only it's not only Taki realizing it. But it's also Mitsuha re- realizing it, because she, in Mitsuha's body, wakes up at one point on top of that crater and looks towards her town and just sees that other lake, and just goes, oh shit, <laughs> I did die then. <laughs> and that, that kind of brings me to that... that well, yeah, that, that, I mean, that horrifying, you know, it's, it, there's so much going on there, but it's like... It's some, it's hard to digest all the things that are happening, but the fact that it's not her waking, like coming there in a dream before it happens, like the the Mitsuo who wakes up with him is one that 
remembers having been crushed by a meteorite. <laughs> it's it, it is literally the ghost of of the character resurrected. Mm. Yeah, on this Easter Sunday. <laughs> How appropriate. And there is actually a line of dialogue where Taki, while going through the pages of all all the uh, deceased in that incident, uh, you know, says, "Oh, oh, was I was I just dreaming? Was I imagining it? Was I, you know, relaying the the, the accounts of the incident which I read into memory, or was it a ghost?" And I love the fact that that line is in there just to make that possible. <laughs> yeah, as if that is you know a thing that happens. Hey, who knows? It's anime. I mean, I mean, we we do know that people swapping bodies is apparently a thing that happens in this world. So, um, ghosts probably seem quite pedestrian compared to that. So, so relating, so the fact that that you know, so we have again the, the Makoto Shinkai theme of um, relationships over this distance, right? Like this distance being Tokyo versus the country and the time element. Is is infinitely more complicated now because it is three years, hmm. and in, in between of those three years, uh, our character has been crushed by a meteorite. Uh, I mean, again, not you know, this is not something that's even um, unfamiliar to to Shinkai because uh, I mean, we can assume like uh, Voices of a Distant Star, it's likely that the character on Earth was receiving messages after after the character in space was dead, but. This one brings it to you in, in in such an effective way. Ah, dude, I, you know, I didn't even think of the, the the voices from a distant star voice relay in that sort of way. You've just yeah, to me on an entirely new level. Yeah, because that last message, I think the last message she sent was like 25 years, right? Yeah. Or more. It makes sense. I just never actually thought. Damn. Yeah, time dilation's a bitch. But I love how I love how Shinkai keeps building on the on the well, it's just sort of yanking the 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 carrot a little further from the viewer every time. Uh, the culmination of these two kids seems to just be about at at its apex. Like, yeah, even though they're in different time spaces, they're meeting on the top of this uh, the the crater ridge. And they can't see each other, but they're talking to each other. And they finally found like where they are, but they still can't touch. And they finally get to see each other, and they're about to tell each other their names or write them down so they can remember them. Gosh. And then the pen drops as soon as. Oh, that was that was agonizing. Oh. Oh. I, I swear, I heard a collective audience sigh in the theater I was, and I loved that. I smiled while I was crying my eyes out. <laughs> Well, can, I, can, I, can I tell you something about that scene that will make you cry more? Sure. We are deep into spoiler discussion, so... Oh, yes. Um, make so, you cry more. So what I've, what I've I read, so... You know, so he writes something on her hand, and then we see only him start writing on... on uh, am I getting that right? Yeah, he writes on her hand, she starts to write on his hand. So apparently the, the line that she starts her name with is incorrect. Uh, and it is very, it is it, the lo- but the line that she starts the kanji with would have made would have made sense if she were to write "I love you." Oh. <laughs> so neither had any intention to write their name in that moment, which makes her like 
breaking down after that tumble on the hill, like seeing what he wrote on her hand, all the more worse because neither of them actually wrote their name. <laughs> it was, yeah, they wrote neither, their feeling. Helped the situation at all. <laughs> Which is you know her reaction to it. <laughs> that's an interesting point because when I looked at that scene, when I was watching that scene, and he's he's got the one line on his hand, and I'm like. That's a little long if she's going to be writing her name in hiragana. And so I was like, I, I thought that was kind of just a a thing, but I didn't think about it that way. That's a that's an interesting point. That's, yeah, oh, that does make it so much more impactful. Um, so, but anyway, I mean, we're, we're, we're dancing all over the place. I, so, so the, 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 the moment in, you know, what I guess we'll call, I guess the, the, when we learn the crater happened, that is act two. The third um, impact. <laughs> but when we so so the movie the movie completely changes when we learn about what happened right the the night of the meteor right mm. yeah and it's it's it like it's this very slow build up where you know she even messages him hey the meteorite's happening tonight you should check that out and he's like what huh and it's very you know where they try to call each other and and she cuts her hair for some reason which we'll get to Jesus Christ uh but um. The movie, like, at, at that moment, I have no idea what this movie is, and it's 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 like a it's a feeling that I I don't I, I can't ever recall having before. Where I am watching the movie, I think I know what this movie is about. Hey, it's a cute love story between with a supernatural twist, and then something happens, and I have no I, I don't know what this how this movie is going to play out at all. Is it just him be like now coming to terms with the fact that this this girl that he loved was dead? Like what? What did you guys think was going to play out after that? Oh no, I was in the exact same boat. I, I as soon as that discovery of the police lines across the schoolyard, uh, uh, the, the, the schoolyard playground, where that safe zone sort of was, uh, the effective radius of the media, meteorite blast. Um, as soon as I saw that, I was like, "Where are we going from now?" There is at least forty minutes left in this film. I know where. Where are you taking me? And, and I, isn't that a marvelous feeling to have about something? It isn't is. that great? It is. It really is. I. You know, the one of the things I appreciate about that meteor is that it's it's the first thing we see in the film, hmm. and it's absolutely gorgeously rendered. Like it's just beautiful. Oh yeah, I think uh, I started. I think I started choking up in that first. My, like my girlfriend turned to me and like, "Are, are you okay?" <laughs> when that first scene opened, because like, I was just like, my hand was over my mouth. It's like, "Oh my god, it's a Makoto Shinkai film." <laughs> but it's just a gorgeous, gorgeous shot that we see, and, and and all the way up until that second act, we see that meteor, and it's this beautiful kind of aurora creating kind of object that's just cutting across the sky and. For for that beautiful thing to turn into, you know, doom into, into just a horrible thing in that second act, just uh, he he really he really like sets you up to just to just ball your eyes out so hard with and that. And, yeah, it's like the beautiful thing becoming horrible, a thing of anticipation. Yeah, becoming like a a, a, a um, kind of like a a symbol of, of dread and doom. Yeah, uh, it, it's also and it also kind of a uh, it's also serves as a hint 
as to the fact that we are in two different time periods because the only the, the meteorite is talked about constantly in news media and between people in uh, Mitsuo's timeline, but not at all in Taki's. Yeah. Not 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 at all in Taki's because that's actually the first point in the film where it's mentioned is where Taki's on the balcony witnessing the split of the meteorite and he's saying oh, this oh, is, that's true, this yeah. is nothing more than beautiful a uh, beautiful picture. It's like no no, this is the death of your love. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and and when you watch when you watch that a second time and you're like Oh my God! You sufferable fool. He's seeing all—he's seeing all of these people that he's come to care about, including the the, the girl he loves, die, and he doesn't even know it. It is no, like, no, no, oh God! Thing. He never sees the people die. We do. Well, and yeah. That's where this film is so effective. It's—it's in—it's it's in a limited narration viewpoint. It's not in how much the characters speak, but how much he shows, and that's so Shinkai. And that's why I really love this movie. <laughs> it's 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 not so much as how much he tells the story through the visuals, but how much dramatic tension the the viewers are are granted, and how much that affects how much we feel, and subsequent viewings. Holy shit! You will not hold that though. Back the waterworks. And I, I honestly thought after that second act, I honestly thought, okay, so now, now this is turning into a story about loss, and that's it. And then, and then, Boom, it turns in. Yeah, <laughs> you know, through through the power of of uh, some spit sake, they uh, they get another chance, and it's it's kind of. It's kind of amazing. Like, yeah. like you're you're left emotionally desolate in that second act, and then like you're grasping for any kind of sign of hope at all, and like at right at the perfect emotional beat, like the right exact timing, he starts he starts giving you this little glimmer of hope uh, as we start to move into the third act. And oh my god, it was like the roller coaster of emotions that you get on from 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 third impact to <laughs> to the end of the movie is is just astounding. And it's been a long time since I've seen any feature film that's done that to me emotionally. What made you react so emotionally? Well, for one thing, you know, I, I let my guard down and thought, oh, okay, this is this is gonna be, you know, this is gonna be like Shinkai's girl who leapt through time. All right, great. But nope, nope, it's not. No, it's not. Oh my God, there's a meteor. Oh wow. Okay. Uh, that was th- this really sucks. Everything's terrible. I can't stop crying. Oh my god! Wait a minute. There's a, there's a chance. Oh, he's gonna go to the cave. Oh, he's gonna drink the stuff. Oh, he's gonna go back to the top. Oh, and, and like, like that's that's like literally that's that's like literally what my brain did the rest of the time. Like, like it, it, I managed I managed to just like feel my way through the rest of the film, and I stopped kind of thinking about it analytically, despite the fact that I was trying to. <laughs> You you also have to break you have to break down that entire sequence of events, almost like second by second because it is wrought with with disappointment because he's looking for this you know you know the the, the dream effect causes causes him not to remember what the, even the town's name is, and so he's looking for the town and where it is and he just has these these images to go by, and. He's about to give up. He's just in this in this depressed mood. So you're you're already disappointed because he's not gonna not gonna find her. 
But then he meets someone from the town, and then you get excited, and then it just just a meteorite crushes your heart. Is what happens. It's it's just it's the like he Shinkai has always been a uh, emotional manipulator, but it's it's never as as, as effective as as here. This is extreme too because it's a three act play, so he gets to do it in three places. Specifically, when you find out the the meteor has killed the person he's been falling in love with when he switches places and they meet and yet he they they are denied their meeting and the very third one which is the five centimeters per second augmented ending where they are you know crossing at the train tracks and meet (laughs) essentially and i like the fact that they do cross and go a little fat a little bit past each other and then turn around and the film ends that's a fantastic ending and like every every part of that last scene i'm just like oh god please meet oh god please meet <laughs> and like the way it like just draws that out it's just so agonizingly like well done <laughs> And I was going to say, like, that that's how I wanted five centimeters per second to end, but no, I want five centimeters per second to end in pain, but I want this film to end in joy. And I think that's the major difference here, is, like, this this is a story written for joy instead of pain, but it's written with a lot of pain. And I love the fact that he did that. Yeah, Uh, it was just... that the, The end of this film was just so cathartic, in a way. And and a lot of times Japanese stories, they they resolve, but they don't necessarily end. If you know what I'm saying, like they don't really have, they don't always have like that was a satisfying ending. I feel good about that ending. Sometimes they just kind of resolve a question and then move on and you're done. Um, but like, and I was really afraid that this one might do that, but it doesn't. And we get. We get the very just the tiniest glimpse of like a happily ever after uh, uh, at the end of this film, and, and thank God for it because if the, if anything else had happened, I would have been just bawling my way back home. I wonder how I would have left the theater if the two main characters just continued passing each other, having <laughs> seen each other's faces and had that reaction, because there's a lot of. Uh, in the third act, there's two instances where they pass each other and don't really realize they're each other because of circumstances. There's rain and umbrella imposed between them, and I can't remember the first. Maybe it was just passing on the train. Well, and that's, and that's or the, the, scene or was the train that's, sweeping them away. That is definitely the scene where I imagine that, uh, that Shinkai's assistant just staring over his shoulders. <laughs> Come on, buddy! Just give us one more frame, and you you can get us there. <laughs> and it's just like, like uh, I really expected, I, again, because all of those, all this, that last part of this movie just was so reminiscent of Five Centimeters Per Second that I thought it was just going to end in in that kind of uh, just melancholy, and then was, it, it pulls it out so wonderfully. I was absolutely terrified that they were gonna just keep on walking at the end of that at the end of the movie, like terrified out of my mind that they were gonna just like do just like what Ig said, look at each other, here you go, huh? 
that person looks familiar. <laughs> they and, just like, walk away. And the weird thing is that 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 you have those feelings, and you have not seen other Shinkai films. Mm. Like if if you had seen five centimeters in five centimeters per second, it, that is what happened. Yeah. <laughs> that is exactly what happens at the end of that movie. Oh shit! We just inadvertently spoiled five centimeters per second for Jared. That's okay. But I'm so sorry, you know, Jared. I mean, Okay. I mean, we're. Ref- I mean, I, I. I'm referenced it so much that you know. But yeah, I mean, that's that's what happens. So that's what like going in there as Shinkai fan, like watching those last few moments. It was just, God, I just it was like my teeth were clenched. I mean, I, I just I feel like, I feel I'm I'm kind of glad I haven't seen more Shinkai stuff having seen this first because, I I, I feel like I would have been traumatized, <laughs> like. He does that. Like going going into this film. <laughs> Well, yeah, I would. I, I, I would be curious. I would like. I would be curious if we give you like a watch list now. If you, if you go back, watch Voices, Five Centimeters, and then Place Promised, in that you know in that order after seeing this first, and see what your opinions. Are. That would be very interesting to me. Why are you admitting Garden of Words? I don't. Well, I don't think Garden of Words is is a different theme. Though. That's it not, is. It is. Yeah, that's the, those. The other three are the same theme. So, so the other thing, the other thing I, I do need to, to bring up um, is that the you know the the big beats in this movie are so uh, earth shattering that it, ha! It, uh, it can get, so good it can get it, it can get lost exactly how dense this movie is like the the movie like there there is almost nothing in it no moment of this movie that is ever wasted. And and in in so much that like like you know coming out of it and thinking about it, like I mean yeah this was this was a coherent like nice uh, hour and forty minute piece but you know you could have turned this in, into a twelve episodes TV TV show extraordinarily easily and gotten a lot of rich story out of it for in, like for instance like the relationship between uh, Mitsuha and her father. Mm. And, and Mitsuo's father and and the the priestess and what happened to their mother and like all that backstory that was summed up in in brief flashbacks that we only get like a taste of so that we get like which which ultimately leads to a huge a huge what is the huge turning point that, that helps save the town is that that relationship is somewhat salvageable between her and her father but you know, you could have done an, an, another hour of this movie just on their relationship. Easily. But the, then the other, the other thing, which I, I, I kind of want to see, and like, I would like to see like three, three like half hour chunks of in, in a TV show, is the, the history of the town, right? Because that, that is a huge part of the movie, and one, one of the main plot points is the idea that. Um, the the rituals of, the rituals and history of the town were wiped out 200 years ago, right? Uh, so they're they're doing all the priest the priestess is maintaining these rituals, but they have no idea what these rituals actually signify. They're just doing them to do it. I think to to kind of I wouldn't say push back against what you're saying, but like yep. just to offer a different view. I think if this was turned into uh, a 12 episode anime it would not be anywhere near as good no uh, i don't i don't think so. part of part of what's great to me is it doesn't spend any time lingering on these things that it very well could like it, it gives it gives the characters a sense of depth uh and a, and, a, and a sense of like real conflicts and it's 
you know, to your point, it's such a lean movie uh, in terms of every every scene in the movie, every shot in the movie is is doing something for moving the film along, and it's doing something to give you the right kind of okay. Here's the emotional headspace the characters are in right now. Here's here's a scene to kind of set the mood for you, the viewer. You know, here's here's some plot stuff. Here we go. It's it's very just a lean focused movie, and yeah. I'm I'm so glad that yeah, it's that way. I think I think saying like a TV show would like that that's maybe wrong. Maybe like a supplemental manga. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't let Shinkai do that. He ruined oh. Gardens of Wor- Garden of Words with that. Oh really? Uh, yeah. Oh, no. Never read that manga. Five like centimeters per second. Yes. Garden of Words. No. Oh. Uh, but what I did want to say is, it should not be a longer movie. It is flawed for having introduced those elements and having them sort of summarized narratively, because they are, you know, way too brief because you want them to be expanded upon, and they deserve to be expanded upon. But at the same time, they don't deserve, uh, um, like, maybe a TV miniseries is the best format. If you no. want all the it's... character relations to come out, but as is your name, as it sort of mood drops the relationships between uh, Mitsuha and her father, um, it's appropriate. It links to him not identifying, or rather identifying uh, Taki in Mitsuha's body um, as opposed to his own daughter. Which I don't buy because he's not that connected to his daughter. He doesn't believe in the spiritual, so why he would even consider the fact that you know this could even take place? There, there, it's flawed. It's a flawed setup. But the, the the film, as it is structured, moves it along so quickly that you have no no choice but to accept it while it's running, uh, unless you're a hard ass analyst with no heart and <laughs> just watch this movie and go, oh. Well, that's totally inconceivable. No, you're you're swept up in the emotions of the moment and the that's, current. Yeah, uh, you're you're swept up in the passion, and that's what this kind of, is kind of all about. That's what Mitsuha and Taki are all about is the passion, and that's a ru- that's a running theme in Shikai's work is just the passion between two individuals to connect them, or disconnect them. And that's exactly what makes this film work is the. The, the intense emotions, the kind of emotional whirlwind you're swept up in, and its short duration and its focus. I think, I think if you change the the time scale that this is that this is experienced in, uh, I, I think it really harms the film because you could step away from it and you can look at it in the cold light of day, like completely like just emotional emotionlessly, right? And say, you know, there's definite like things that could have been a little bit better explained like the dad you know that Mm -hmm. definitely um but this is this is a movie about raw emotional force as much as it is just a beautiful film to 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 watch you know agreed uh so so the other the other aspect that i think um is and it's it's so well done but again it's it's an it's evidence of of just how dense the movie is is this so the, this idea that everything was destroyed 200 years ago, and they, they're doing all these rituals that are to them meaningless, including including the scene where we see them walk up the mountain and place the um, the sake. Like they don't know why they do that, and, and then we get that one glimpse 
of the mural on the cave wall of a meteorite. Uh, and all those rituals and every um, everything they're doing is like as a way to remember the fact that a meteorite hit there 1,200 years ago. And because that's forgotten. The shrine sits in a place that looks very much either like the caldera of a volcano or where a meteorite hit even earlier. Yeah, too. A, probably a smaller piece of it. And and it's because like because that like the, the memory of the meteor the memory of the initial meteorite was destroyed, and the, the the second meteorite hit in a movie about dreams and fading memories. It's 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 another it's another example of this the themes and playing playing out and everything connecting beautifully between you know between all the acts and, and all the threads coming together at the end. You you, you want your mind blown? Sure. Blown. Yeah. You want your mind blown? <laughs> That's what the original poem was about. It was about... Oh, really? Yeah. What Shinkai had originally envisioned this film as, according to uh, an interview on Vice.com, was forgetting and the ramifications of that. Uh so that whole setup with the ritual behind the 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 mouth chewed sake and the disconnect with the modern world and how you know it wants to forget its past but there are certain things that still affect the present are omnipresent that is what the film is and that is what it's trying to relay so taki in the cave Sipping on the the ancient ritual uh, uh, mouth chewed sake and having this excellently non Shinkai to date animated pencil sketch lucid dream of uh, uh, connectivity through her hair braid and the red uh, string of fate as it were and him finally waking up and trying to affect change in the past is all very much awareness of trying to not let history fade, as is the uh, Mitsuha's family uh, in her shrine, because you know all records of ritual have been replaced uh, by a, a disaster which wiped it out, and they just know what to do, but not the meanings behind it, and that is so much the meaning behind this film everybody acting on instinct and teachings but not learning or meaning yeah okay it's beautiful. so so i'm i'm looking over a couple things and apparently um there's a cameo from somebody from garden of words yes yeah that's kind of neat wait like what? the the japanese lit teacher for uh mitsuha's class that's yukari from garden of words I, you know, I can't even picture her, but I, I believe you. That's it's all. probably because you've just seen her feet so much. <laughs> Damn it. She, she's the one who's do it, delivering the lesson about uh, Twilight and the special powers of it and how it allows people involved in the uh, glow of Twilight to observe things not in this dimension, which sets up the later meeting on the crater. It's Kamidoki something. Katawara Doki. And apparently... For this story, inspiration came from one of the one of the works mentioned is Shuzo Oshimi's Inside Mari. 
Oh, really? <laughs> oh, my God. That's like completely the opposite side of the universe from this film. I'm striking this from the podcast. Shuzo Oshimi being an inspiration for a Shinkai film is kind of amazing. Uh, I almost uh, want to see those two collaborate now just to see if it destroys the universe. Like matter and antimatter coming into contact with each other. But there's, there's not the antagonism in, in uh, what's-his-name's work present here. No. No, I, 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 think, I think it's just straight up the body swapping. I think yeah. that's the only thing that, it, that you know, Rama one half's mission, too. And that's also very different, but anyway, yeah. I think I think we I think we hit all the all the high points, and I think this again, like there's a there's a lot to cover. But one one idea that I've been toying with, and I want to this is this is a good opportunity to kind of see if it fleshes out is, um, does does Shinkai have have an is there a negative message in here about rural Japan? Because a lot, like a lot of the things that are shown in rural Japan, are pretty negative. From the fact that they're doing these ancient rituals, which is like we have to uphold a tradition that we don't even know what the meaning of this tradition is. You know, the fact that all these characters are kind of this like stuck in a rut. Um, you know, like the construction worker's son who is just doesn't you know has no opportunity to leave this small town, and that the the act of destruction after the town is saved causes all of these people to be able to to leave, and it's where we get we get very short glimpses of these people living in Tokyo, living a modern life, the mo- the modern life that all of them wish that they had when living in this small backwoods town. I want to take issue at least with the construction workers' workers' son, because there's an air about him. At least as portrayed through the narrative of his own character, that relays a sort of stalwartness to towards tradition. Like there's a point where the the two girls are going on a walk with them home from school, and they're just say, complaining about the town. There's there's no this, no this, two pubs for some reason, but this and this and no this and this and. He just breaks his bike at one point and goes, "Shut up!" You know, this is what we know, and you know, this is what we love. And there's another point when he's viewing the the maiden dance at the the, the temple, and I forget what exactly happens, but he defends tradition again, and you just get the sense that he's been imbued with a sense of tradition for tra- tradition's sake. And that keys into the theme of, you know, not remembering why you do, do the traditions, but to do the traditions. And I don't view that as, as inherently negative. It's just following tradition despite not knowing why. And again, not knowing why or forgetting is the theme of this movie. So if you want to say the, the construction worker's son defending something despite not knowing why he's doing it is bad, that goes against the theme of the film because he's at least doing something that causes a remembrance of sorts through action. Well, you see, I, I'm, I would counter in saying that those, those small acts of defiance 
in, in like defense to the other characters, like anti the town is like kind of a way of maybe a coping mechanism because he doesn't see himself as an, as an opportunity to escape. In fact, there, the one scene that kind of triggered, triggered my reaction to him is that there is a point where they show, like, a brief moment, him at his, his, his home, and his father said, just says to him, like, just blankly, like, hey, you know, be sure to be at work tomorrow. We have this to do. This is what we're going to be working on for the next X number of days. And he just kind of, like, looks down and says, you know, yes, sir, okay. You know, like, he, like he doesn't have a choice. Hmm. I don't know if I yeah I think I'm characterizing that scene correctly the precursor to that line is him saying I smell corruption and oh, yes. then his his father telling him something to do and that I think speaks a lot because you know it, it speaks to defiance it's like and and of course familial obligation and and, and a, it's a, a conflict between this is the way things are versus an opportunity for change. Hmm. But there's not much he can actually change at that point. No, no, it's not. But he does use that later on because the what the father says to do is to learn explosives. And the son turns that around to completely destroy his father's work. <laughs> I think in a broader sense, you could take either viewpoint and say that this this is celebrating uh, country life and the traditions, like you know, Japanese traditions and things like that, and it's and it's, you know, kind of pushing those away too. Um, you know, from the standpoint of the kids that live in the the country town, you know, like all teenagers, they want change and they want to be anywhere but where they are right now. Um, so I didn't think that was terribly unusual. I will say that, you know, the whole thing that makes this work and makes makes their makes any kind of happy ending possible is the fact that those traditions were observed and used uh, you know even though they didn't remember why um, you know the Taki was able to kind of piece together you know really just grasping at straws well you know that has that has her in it that you know the, the Kuchikamizake you know that has some of her in it half of her in it so let me let me see if that will help me have a connection with her again and I think there's I think there's something to be said about the idea that you know where you know she wants to go to the city, he ends up being fascinated by the scenery of her home too, and drawing a lot of pictures of it. Part of that to remember, but then you know I I think there's some appreciation for the landscapes there too. So I think it's I think it's kind of it kind of cuts both ways. I, I think it's a it's it's a it's a message. If there is a message about it, I think it's a complex message. I think it's, you know, traditions are important, but, you know, what do we do when we lose all of that, too? How do we move on? I, I think especially given the body swap aspect of this anime, um, the, the theme is not more the grass is always greener on the other side. It's just... I uh, know, like the... The fact that yeah you're right that the, the relying on those traditions did actually save the day in the end uh, does put a pretty big it pre- put a big hole in my theory but the the, the one of the things that that pull, like that I I pulled out as as notable is that you're right that the that the kids in the small town complain and wish they were in the big city but Taki's friends uh, were nothing but content 
Uh, even though Taki, like Taki, wanted you know went on a day trip to the country, he was he fell in love with that scenery. In the end of the movie, he his his goal was not to like I'm going to move out to the country and live and live a simpler life. It was I want to incorporate these this beautiful classical Japanese imagery into uh, an urban landscape, so that we have this kind of molding of uh, traditional um, imagery and modern cityscape. So the, the kind of the, the best of both worlds. Not only that, but you know, since he, I, I'd say that's assuming a bit too much, actually, because I don't think that actually works its way into the film. But he he does mention the fact that you know he doesn't want certain landscapes to disappear; that any landscape could potentially disappear, and that's a direct effect of him witnessing the destruction of that town and his love, and I think that's what gives him his purpose. And I think that's what makes him finding his love all the more effective, is the fact that she transcends this destruction and this place. It's a timeless affair, if you will. You could say their love is timeless, even though impermanence is a big part of the, the movie. It sort of goes beyond time, you know? Hmm. So shall we take some uh, Twitter questions, or does anyone have anything uh, left to say about your name? I like it. I'm, it's good. Good movie. Do you recommend? I, I hope. I hope it's still in theaters by the time this comes out. If you hadn't seen it, and if it isn't in theaters, then probably prepare to wait a good year and a half before it comes out on Blu-ray. Thanks, Funimation. Uh, no, it's not Funimation. It's Japan. The road show. It's mm. the road show. How it has to go to all of the prefectures first. Yeah, and it's and like the one thing I like. I'm, I'm dreading because I missed uh, Shin Godzilla in theater, uh, and I'm kicking myself for that. And it's it's been a year since that was in theater, and still it still is not out on Blu-ray. So and that is really really good. <laughs> so I'm I, I'm dreading when this thing is actually going to come out for purchase in any in any form. Uh, who knows? So from there, let's do uh, some Twitter questions from Corey. Uh, Impassionate K on Twitter, uh, co-host of Taiku Podcast. Uh, where does and he literally has it in all lowercase with two periods, unless you did that ink. Oh, where does that your name not be two periods? That was my mistake. Oh, okay. Where does your name sit on the Shinkai's? I think we kind of kind of mentioned that, but Scott, why don't you weigh in on that again? Why don't, uh, why don't we do? Why, why don't we do this as a like Shinkai movie countdown? Yeah, no, I um, I started to do it, and, uh, but it, your name is going to be number one. Uh, I mean, it, that again is because it's its newest, the newest one after I maybe in a year, in a couple of years after I've seen them all again, it might reorder. But you know, new and your name is his most effective movie as as far as I'm concerned at today. Um, followed by I guess my previous order, which would be five centimeters. Uh, Garden of Words, uh, voice, uh, Voices of a Distant Star, um, Places Promised, and uh, um, Children of Chase Love's Voices uh, coming up last. I would say Garden of Words, still front and center for me. Uh, then Your Name, then Voices from a Distant Star, then Five Centimeters Per Second. Uh, then the place promised in the early days, and then 
children children who chase the last voices. Uh, and as for me, I can definitely say this is my favorite Shinkai film. <laughs> uh, I have read the Garden of Words manga, and unlike Ink, I do not hate that manga. I thought it was good, um, but it's not as good as this movie. So, yeah. From uh, Alex Osborne, uh, what's your favorite scene? Did you see the dub, sub, if you saw both? What do you prefer? I prefer the sub, I guess. <laughs> Hard choice there. <laughs> But I always prefer the sub. So, <laughs> how was? I mean, how would you rate the? How would you rate the dub? We actually didn't like give it a rating or, or a review. Like, was the dub okay? The dub was good. I liked the dub. I thought it was an effective dub. I I didn't. You know, all of the all of the characters sounded like they should have. I thought their I thought their performances matched their characterization, uh, matched their look. Uh, I thought. All of the the Rad Whip songs being in English, that was kind of different. Um, it wasn't bad. Wait, they're all in English. Yeah. Yeah. They redone yeah, the it entire for the... movie is in English. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, that, they did a good job with this dub. Like, like I I will watch. I mean, you know, I I typically watch subtitled stuff. Um, you know, because I have a level of Japanese that, you know, I can I can do that and it's it's fine. But like. Um, you know, this was this was perfectly fine as a dub. I, I thought it was good. I thought the performances were well done. Um, you can't say that about all movies, and I'm sure that somebody out there who's seen both is gonna be like, "Man, eh, the sub is better." You know, that always that that always happens, right? But uh, no, that, they did a good job on the dub. Before we get to your favorite scene, can I ask uh, more uh, generally about the Radwimps songs uh, insertions? Like, how did you guys feel about those? I feel like Shinkai should do some music videos and, like, give up this directing gig for a while. Uh, it's, you know, again, it's it's uh, expected because uh, montage is one of his favorite his favorite things to do. And, uh, it very much evoked a lot of uh, five centimeters. Yeah, it's very effective. Um, I mean, the, the only one that felt out of place was actually the first one because it felt like like an anime TV opening. Mm. Uh, yeah, that's true. You, you can cut. I mean, you could cut that, and nothing would be lost. I mean, I guess it was a nice intro to what you're about to see. Definitely, definitely does not match the tone of the overall movie. See, I don't know. I like I like the the sort of uh, resonant whining of the lead vocalist. I think that worked well with it. Uh, the, the the pop rock sort of air worked against the general air in a film so wrought with sorrow as this, or wrought with uh, denial. Mm-hmm. Uh, overall, like, any time I see a, a, an anime music video, you know, shat in the middle of a, of a perfectly good movie, it makes me go, why? Why? You didn't need this. And the songs complement it in a way, but also detract. I really wish they weren't there because it would be a better movie without. He could have the same scenes without the music playing over them. Well, what about what about the montage? Which montage? The the the, the 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 montage when the two of them start to get into their routine of switching bodies. That like, actually I thought, I thought that one was definitely like required. Like that was, I we learned more about the character those characters through that montage than through almost any other part of the movie. Sure, but do we need the music on top of it to separate it as its own like music video, as you've said? 
I guess we don't need it. I, I didn't quite do see it as a negative. I, I don't see it as a negative. It was just something that made me go, oh, hey, music video, not movie, and thus I'm separated from the movie. Mm. And that was a negative. It's 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 perfectly fine in its own right, but but then, it, but then it again, my, my favorite scene from Five Centimeters is the music video that's inserted in the middle of the movie. So, that's my worst. That's my worst. Uh, yeah, I, I guess we're. I think for me that the first one, I think it was Scott that said the first one took him out of it. Uh, that happened to me too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then after that, I just kind of accepted it, and it didn't really knock me out of the film. It kind of, it 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 felt. It felt okay. Like, I, I still feel like the guy's got a great career as a, as a music video director, but um, you know, it the only the first one really took me out of it, and I guess that's because I wasn't expecting something like that, you know, and only for a second because I was like, oh wow, this is like an anime opening thing. Like, that's literally what I thought when I started hearing the music, and I was like, what the? That's weird. But then after that, I got used to it. So, aside from hijacking that question, what was your favorite scene? My favorite scene was the very ending one, because, oh my god, the catharsis. What was the ending scene? The ending scene where they turn around and they ask each other their name, and it's like, oh god, you got me! And, like, the tears, and, oh, it was great. (laughs) That's my deep analysis for you. (laughs) (laughs) The feels. The feels is your analysis. It was the feels, man. Oh, favorite scene. Let's see. This is a good one because I really, I really liked, um, I really liked the scene where Mits, uh, Mitsuha as Taki like just takes um, takes that the, the older the the older woman aside. I guess she's not that she's not supposed to be that much older, but the upperclassman aside and and sews the the skirt. I, I mean, I thought I thought that was just a beautiful. That's just a beautiful like. It's a beautiful scene that shows who Mitsuo was in contrast to, like that that a, that a uh, you know a, a teenage boy would never would never think to do that. But hey, you know what? If you a teenage boy, you learn how to sew. Uh, it's going to score you a lot of points to be able to do that. Um, I mean, that's that's the scene that stands out because I thought that was I thought that was a lovely I really thought that was a lovely scene. I think that was peak peak Shinkai, really, in that scene. I love that scene as well, but I don't think it's the best. Yeah, it's it's hard because there's so many like there's so many individual moments in the movie that I really I really love. But I mean, because you could say favorite or like the most impactful scene is just like seeing the seeing the police tape. Just that first shot yeah. of the police tape it just just leaves such a huge impact. Um, it's a hard it's a hard question. My answer is one I've thought since the very first time I saw this movie, is the moment where Taki, as Mitsuha, is fondling Mitsuha's boobs while crying (laughs) after having hugged herself into tears after realizing that she's still alive. Uh, Because that moment was the film to me. That that really... him, Him realizing... She still had a possibility, uh, a timeline for life that was possible, where he could correct something. And his first impulse is, is to, no, I really respect her, which is, you know, 
uh, sham. Uh, <laughs> but he he instantly wraps his arms around the shoulders instead and gives a, a huge weeping hug to the fact that not that she's alive, but really the fact that they could still meet. And it's a greedy wish, and it's all relayed silently. And it's it, you know. And I say silently, but you know, he's saying, "Oh, thank God you're still alive." But you know why he's thankful. And while she's weeping, it cuts to the little sister coming in, as she usually does. It's a running gag. She walks in on her sister fondling her boobs, oddly, because you know she's been taken over by some adolescent boy. And uh, you know he's still crying when she opens that door and fondling her boobs and doesn't stop. <laughs> and it's just this beautiful, happy, stupid go lucky uh, revelatory experience that's just like okay they've met each other even though they haven't met each other all yet and it, it sent me bawling it really did it's the turning point of the film for me at least emotionally it's it's the point where they start thinking about each other as opposed to each one individually and really that was my favorite scene that scene does sort of encapsulate all of the different emotional energies you're going to feel throughout the entire film in that one shot. And how that, stupid that is, is that? <laughs> <laughs> that is kind of amazing. I'm not... Yeah, there's so many little moments in this movie that I absolutely love. It's so hard. Uh, the next one we've got is from Helen at, at Wandering Dreamer on Twitter. Uh, which would you rather be, a high schooler living a dull life in a beautiful place or a high schooler living in a big city but with cafes? Scott? Um, I guess, I mean, high schooler in big city. <laughs> I, don't, I don't, you know, I mean, uh, if, I mean, if wish fulfillment, like probably a little bit of both, I mean, I would like to experience both. It's hard to pick one, I mean, because... Yeah, I don't know, because because again, like for for me individually, I mean, growing up in suburban America, Tokyo seems super overwhelming. But then the 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 the, um, the outskirts of Tokyo seems too slow. So I don't I don't think there's a happy there's no happy I'm in the happy middle ground now. So I don't know if I can really make a choice. I don't know that it's fair to, for me to answer this question. Why is oh because you live well because where you live. Well, or where you have lived? Yeah, I. So I, I've lived in Japan twice, and the first time oh. I lived there was about an hour and a half north of Tokyo in Hitachi City, which was kind of a suburb, uh, but um, by no means like country country. And then mm -hmm. the second time I lived in a, a tiny city uh, that was kind of a, a fishing kind of city, very agricultural, very rural. Uh, and it took about an hour to get to Fukuoka City, which was one of the bigger cities um, on the uh, in the prefecture where I lived. So, like, I think my answer would probably be like high schooler living a dull life in a beautiful place because I know I could get on Japan Rail and be in a big city in about an hour and a half. So. Like, if I really wanted to be, of course, I'd have to save a ton of money as a high schooler to do that. But, uh, but, but yeah, like, it's, you know, you can get around so easily over there. You can kind of, 
you can kind of do whatever you want to do. And I mean, you know, big city living's cool and all, but uh, you know, yeah, I think that'd be my choice. But I don't know. I, I kind of had my cake and eat it, ate, ate it too. So I would, I would have to go on the side with high schooler living a dull life in a beautiful place. I grew up largely in the suburbs and close to the city as a resident of the New Jersey because I'm smack dab between New York City and Philadelphia. So I have the experience of being an hour and a half away, both from the largest city in the United States and, you know, a very large city as well. Uh, but being located in a, a, a state known for its, you know, agriculture <laughs> and uh, overpopulation as well. So I've got everything where I live, but honestly, being the romantic I am, I would opt for the solitude and the the beauty of nature with the option of being able to get on a train and going an hour and a half to to whatever it takes to Tokyo to go have fun in the city and then come back home. Because there is actually an episode where, or an episode, a a, uh, scene where Mitsuha goes to Tokyo for a day to go meet her future boyfriend, uh, would-be boyfriend, and then come back home. So she's obviously not that far away. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, Gifu, Gifu, I think, is, like, somewhat northern Japan, but not, it's not, like, impossible to get to Tokyo from there by any means. Um, you know, Japan Rail, like, it's like Japan North, Japan Rail North or something. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, like, Japan... You see all these vast landscapes, but, you know, Japan's still not that big. So the final question from David... Last but not least. (laughs) From David Estrella, a.k.a. Content Daddy, or as you may more infamously know him, at sign QX20XX on Twitter, Old Takus, please rate Shinkai's films from most horny to least horny. Thanks. Oh no! This is <laughs> this is an easy question for me to answer. Clearly, with my experience, in my experience, your name absolutely <laughs> most horny. Done. <laughs> Over to you, boys. Scott, how are we defining horny? As oh come on, easily as you define <laughs> it. Okay, so let's see. Let's say uh, the lay definition works fine. Number one, number one, Garden of. That is definitely the most horny, uh, the most horny, horny movie uh, in Shinkai's um, catalog. Uh, number two, I would say five centimeters per second. That does feature a uh, an adolescent boy getting on a train and just drool, just trying to trying to meet up with his lady friend out in the middle of nowhere. So wait, wait sell it. He's 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 on a train that's driving through the snow. No. Sure, yeah, okay. sure. Whatever, whatever you want, Inc. Whatever, whatever you want. Uh, um, uh, then I guess, uh, I guess your name, place promised, and then children who chase lost voices. Children who chase lost voices was not very horny, and if it was, it would be exceedingly creepy. So, although I don't know. Okay, I take it back because okay, now we're gonna we're gonna let's let us define horny because the character in. Uh, Children Who Chase Lost Voices was desperate for his wife 
But I don't know if uh, I guess that's a, that's kind of an eros versus eros argument. If you want to have that, do you? I love having you on, Scott. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I don't. Let's uh, I put uh, let's put uh, Chase voices before Place Promise. I don't think Place Promise was very horny at all. So. Are you kidding? It was about <laughs> going towards the apex of the individual destinations. <laughs> it was all about reaching climax. I might actually have to revise my my most horny, the least horny Shinkai to say uh, Place Promised in our early days is the first. And oh, maybe I just don't remember that movie. <laughs> followed by... I mean, really, really, I can make an argument that really all narratives are just edging towards that climax. Oh, true. But this one has, like, the, the, the heavens-driven climax of that star... Uh, imbued sky it's, it's the moment <laughs> they're, they're working towards the moment they need to go towards that pillar uh, and that whole movie is structured towards it so I'm going to I'm, I'm, I'm going to say it I'm going to say Place Promised in Our Early Days is the horniest Shinkai film in his repertoire and I will say Garden of Words is his second Your Name is his third I'm going to say five centimeters per second is his fourth, and uh, Voices from a Distant Star is last. I need because to consider, Voices I mean, from a Distant Star is Voices pure pretty romanticism. Horny because that's, there's a lot of distance between those two characters. There's probably a lot of tension. There's a lot uh, of tension, but it's all emotional. It's not really physical. I don't know. You know some, at some point, emotional and physical, that line blurs. I cannot believe we have spent this much time. Here's, on this question. here's, here's what, here's what I can say definitively. Inc. This is amazing. Why don't, why don't we, why don't we both just take a while to think on this, and next time you have me on, we can, we can revisit this discussion. <laughs> Deal. Why don't we, we, we can, oh, we can maybe have a whole entirely separate pro- podcast, maybe like a special called the horniness of the of Shinkai's catalog, the, the thirst cast, thirst cast. <laughs> How thirsty is your Shinkai movie? Let's let us observe. <laughs> Deal, Jared. You want to do our outro? <laughs> How do I follow that? My God! <laughs> laughing, laughing, sir. <laughs> well, uh, guys, look forward to the first episode of Thirstcast, the spinoff of a spinoff, uh, coming very soon, probably. Who knows? Um, Scott, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you on the interwebs and beyond, please? Well, of course, you can find me on uh, on Twitter uh, at Scott Spaziani, uh, Tumblr scottspaziani.com. But of course, you can find my uh, my incoherent anime ramblings at uh, otakuinreview.com, where you will hopefully see my. By the time this goes up, my year name review should be posted, uh, as well as. Um, uh, it's probably a follow-up. I'm probably gonna do. I'm gonna do one review, and I'll probably do a, an essay where I uh, incoherently ramble spoilers um, and try to try to wrap my brain around what I actually what this uh, what this movie made me feel. So you can look forward to that. And Ink, where can everybody find you? You can find me at uh, Animated Ink on the Tweety Box. You can also find me on AnnaGamers.com, where we write about. Uh, Anime, games, and manga, uh, somewhat analytically. We also have two podcasts. The other, besides Old Taku No Radio, being uh, the predominant Anagamers.com podcast with uh, founder and editor-in-chief 
Evan Minto, and his cohort in crime, David Estrella. And you can find me on fandompost.com, where I also have a Euroname review. And uh, a ten years later piece on Cazador de la Bruja. Uh, also in the pages of Otaku USA Magazine. Go to otakuusamagazine.com and subscribe to read... Uh, anime reviews you can hold in your hand and own and collect as you otaku do. I think that's about it. Jared, where do we find you? You can find me uh, on the Twitter at uh, Save versus Jared. Um, I'm taking uh, the season off from writing, but I implore you to definitely go check out anygamers.com where three episode tests uh, are probably have been up for a while by the time this will air. And uh, who knows what other goodies will uh, be up on the site by that point. So please uh, go check out anygamers.com. And also check out wavemotioncanon.com for really great analysis. Uh, We've got some great stuff going on over there. Just launched a new uh, weekly uh, podcast, uh, Weekly Motion Canon, I think it's called. It's great. Uh, Please go check that out. Um, Also check out uh, uh, one of our writers, um, Josh does a uh, weekly Sakuga and Cinema column that is really good, so please go check that out as well. Uh, and yeah, then check me out for random ravings on uh, Twitter. So uh, for for Scott, for Inc, from myself, uh, thank you guys very much. Uh, we will see you uh, in another month. Bye. See ya. Sake bottles empty. Well, it's definitely time. To, <laughs> definitely time to close up shop now, guys. I miss doing miss doing this. Uh, <sighs> I'm high on antihistamines. <laughs> I miss doing miss doing this. Uh, <sighs> I hope I made sense. I'm high on sake. I hope I made sense. I'm high on Easter pie, so I hope I was coherent in any way. I miss My, doing so, miss doing this. Uh, <sighs> Easter pie. I have I have one more thing to say. Mine's a soapbox thing. I'm I'm about to speak to this whole next Miyazaki BS. Uh, I, I I honestly just want to keep this podcast clear of that because I don't want that phrase used in it. I honestly want that phrase totally separate from him because he's he's not he's not Miyazaki. He's, That's kind of the point I want to make. Exactly. That's okay because it doesn't need to be made here. We're just looking into the film. Okay. Right. Can I? Can I'm, I? I'm and I know I know we, we're not we don't want to do this, but can I say? Can I say one one thing? Sure. Okay. The the one thing I will say is what I just said about Makoto Shinkai. I could say the same thing about uh, Hayao Miyazaki. Is that his themes of environmentalism and, and he made movies with those themes over and over again. And you could argue that Princess Mononoke would be the 
is finally coming of age in, in those themes expressed in this in their purest form. I think that 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 line. I think it's not, and it's not a comparison of the two of the two people individually. I think is is when when an artist has something that they're passionate about or has a story within themselves that they want to tell, that they will continue to try to tell it until they believe that they've got it right. And you know, Makoto Shinkai or uh, Miyazaki made movies and and stories about hey humans versus nature versus other humans versus nature nature versus itself. Over and over again, and um, he just—he had to keep telling that story until he believed he got it right. And frankly, that's what I think happened here. He kept Shinkai for some reason kept having to come back to this same story until he thought he got it right. This discussion has made this in podcast extremely hard to edit now because <laughs> I want to keep it in, but I don't want to keep it in. Edit point. Edit point. So you're gonna edit around the part. Scott's last really good point he made, you're going to keep that in? I don't know. It's stupid to say anybody's the next anybody else. Um, he's Shinkai. He's not, there's not going to be another next Miyazaki. There doesn't need to be. And there doesn't need to be another next Shinkai later, 20, 30 years down the road. Like These, these artists, we, we get to have their films for eternity, basically. So any kind of next Miyazaki. I think that's a bunch of just BS. I think it's stupid. That that idea needs to die. Well, I think the, it doesn't help. It does the, nothing artistically for anyone. The the issue is you have to define what what is the next Miyazaki mean. It's meaningless. Because, that's the problem. Well, I don't think it I don't think it is meaningless. I don't think it means like oh, the next person is going to make Ghibli-esque movies. I think it's it means who who is going to be the next um, Why can't we why can't we call it the next great animator director from japan that's that's what it should be and it's, it's really like who's going to be the next ambassador of anime and next anybody's that's name what it is shitty shorthand for that yes it is 100 percent